because it's all Greek today and you want to be able to look at it. Some of you are going to say, this is the, this is the opposite direction. Now he's got a way to make it hard with a handout. <laughs> Handouts are supposed to make it easy. Well, um, it's, it, I'm actually making something easy, but it's not going to be a normal Sunday. <clears throat> We're studying the Christian spiritual life. Um, and uh, Wednesday night in this discussion, we talked about the comparison between Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and following and Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and following. And, um, and I wanted you to see the parallels um, because they're very tight, even in t- to the level of Greek grammar between these two letters, where you would almost say either someone copied one to make it look like they, he was Paul saying almost the same thing, or Paul talks like this a lot. And I think it's the, obviously the latter. Paul sounds like this a lot. So I'm very excited today to do this comparison study with you on spirituality in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. And first, just real quick, or a little less formal, who thinks this is going to be challenging based on how I set it up? Good. My Greek students think it's going to be challenging. Um, but maybe they're just used to being used to this used to the suffering um i don't think it's that hard because i put things in color i put the things that are compared or that are almost the same wording or the exact same wording in the same colors between the two passages and that's what you're seeing now who has an english bible everybody has an english bible if you don't i'll give you a dollar and you can go to the dollar store and get one for a dollar um and uh or uh go to the hotel and you know not supposed to do that. Anyway, uh, this book, this Bible stolen from the Gideons. Um, so what, what I'm saying is that it's, it's easy to get to the English of these verses. What's hard for you to do that you don't know how to do probably, or it would be a lot of extra work for you that's not so hard for me, is to just go show the Greek how they compare. So um, let me read the Ephesians 5 passage uh, briefly, and we'll talk about how these things work. Remember, the main command uh, that governs everything beginning in 5.18 all the way through chapter 6, verse 9 in Ephesians, the main grammatical command is plerao, be filled. Be filled, and that in verse 18 on your sheet there is in red. Plerusta is that verb, be filled by the Spirit. And so it says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking. And that's with the result that you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with the result of singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, with the result of always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, with the result that you're subject one to another in the fear of Christ. And then we have what's called the household code. But this is a follow-on because the being subject to one to another in verse 21 is assumed in verse 22. It just says, wives to your husbands. It just says, wives to your own husbands in the Lord in verse 22. Now, if you look, um, you've got a staple in your, in your sheet because we go to the household codes and I continue to show you the comparison. I continue to show you the comparison in the colors. And the most striking thing about this is Paul is going to talk about, he talked about how we talk to one another how we talk to God, how we give thanks. Um, He talked about submitting to one another, and he won't do that in Colossians. But then, wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters, it's all the same order. He goes through this, it's, it's somehow, it's how he thinks 
about institutions, about structures, about lifestyle, about the big challenges in life, which are people. Every one of those things is dealing with people and relationships that you're stuck in. You cannot get away from your wife or your husband legitimately it's you know like if you do that means that there's been a disruption there's been a rupture there's been a breakdown and so sometimes you do have to get away Um, but but what I'm saying is that in in normal ops you're stuck and you're stuck with that person how they are and you have to love that about who who they are Um, parents and children you're stuck right children can't get away because I'm faster than you right and and uh and uh, slaves and masters, that's a, that's a, you're, you're chained to each other. You're chained into that harness that you've got to be in this structure because of the nature of slavery. And so all of these relationships are the hardest things in life, the most difficult things in life. Uh, think about it. Think about how hard it is to deal with the people that know you the best. Think about how troublesome marriage is in our country. And that's what we know. We know the experience of our country and marriage and our culture. It's harder in our culture, I think, than it has been through most cultures because of the freedoms that we have. Because you can go to the judge, one of the married parties can go to the judge and say, I'm done, and the judge can say, okay, the marriage is dissolved. That's a new thing. That wasn't, that wasn't our experience for most of our history as a, as a country. But in the 20th century, late 20th century, this became a thing, okay? And it was intended to not hurt women. But, um, but like you can, you can easily dissolve a marriage where in Western civilization, and it's kind of an oxymoron now, but w- what we're doing is they're even in Europe having trial marriages where we, where we go into like almost an indenture, they'll, they'll contract, we'll try it for seven years, and then the expectation is that we start over with someone else. It's crazy, but, but this is harder to, to make a go of things when you can easily get out of them because these structures historically have been lifelong commitments. Um, so as long as the, the indenture lasts for the slave, it's, it's a, your life belongs to that, uh, and your time belongs to that, that master who's responsible to provide and protect. And so um, these are uh, the hard things. And uh, when you can't move the barrier, when you can't get out of the prison, it, you, feel, you feel hemmed in. And uh, what you find is the Holy Spirit indwells you and is wanting to fill you and you're commanded to be filled by the Holy Spirit to empower you to rejoice even through hardship, the hardest things, which are the people relationships that you can't get away from. And so um, this is always a challenging uh, thought, especially in our civilization, because we think we're free to do whatever we want with our relationships. Oh, well, you know, I made a covenant, but I'm not going to keep it. Well, um, that, that historically would have been a criminal thing that you would never have done. Uh, you, we can remember, by the way, by the way, I, this is not, I'm not hitting anybody on divorce, but we can all remember a time in our, in, our, in our country's cultural history, we can all remember a time when divorce was an illicit thing that was never spoken of. Let me give you an example. My uh, grandfather, James Park, uh, grew up, and until I believe he was 60, maybe 63, he had no idea that his older brother Horace was Horace Jr., Horace Abick Jr., because Horace Abick was the father of the children. <laughs> but before my grandfather, James B. Park, could ever knew that, uh, that he was um, actually Abick's son, Horace Abick's son, uh, his mother and his father divorced and remarried on the down low. 
And I don't know what kind of other things they changed, but they probably changed churches and didn't go shopping in the same place. And it was a big secret. It was such a secret that my grandfather didn't know who his father was, genetic. His, he knew the man that raised him, Mr. Park, Papa Park, we called him. He knew him, and uh, that was his father, and he, he lived his life as James B. Park. Um, he, uh, he met his dad after Papa died. Papa Park died when my grandfather was probably in his late 50s or early 60s. I remember it when Papa died. And my grandpa, who I called JJ, James Park, his father came forward and said, I've waited, I was respectful, but you're my son. I just want to introduce myself. Now, this happened in the 80s. This happened in the 80s. There's no internet, there's no 23andMe, there's no ancestry.com. Boy, was that telling. We're Germans. Okay, I understand now. That's German. That's, that's powerful German speech right there. And so, um, so uh, th- these relationships are uh, in, in divorce. It used to be the, the scandal that you would hide, and the kids would never even know about it. It, it sounds crazy, but, uh, but that's how it used to be. And, and today, um, we have trouble culturally understanding that. Well, what Paul's doing here is coming from his Christian worldview about relationships and institutions and saying, in the things that are household, where it's the greatest trouble, where there's the greatest intimacy, therefore the greatest expression of the old sin nature, and therefore the greatest trouble and hardship, this is where the Holy Spirit has an effect that will be felt, that will be powerfully um, uh, magnified as we grow spiritually and as we uh, put on Christ. And so um, that's your context for, for this. Now, when, what's the next trouble? What's the next category of trouble once you get past your sin nature and how it bounces off other people and how you're strange and how you process information? You think you're right and the other person's like, that person is weird, but you think they're weird and it's just being, you know, racist with just two people. My way of doing it is right, and your way of doing it's wrong, and we're just arrogant balls of selfishness, and we bounce off of each other. That's its own problem. It explains all the problems that we pretty much have, except, except there's another problem. Or, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 uh, uh, through about 18. What's the other problem that's kind of messing with those other things that's going on inside me? It's outside of me, but it messes with me. What's the other thing? Yeah, the angelic conflict, the spiritual warfare. So he goes from the filling of the Spirit to the household, all relationships and then household, and then goes into the angelic conflict. And so Ephesians is handling all the big issues. It's, it's awesome, but it's all really goes back to the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you are going to defeat the flaming arrows of the evil one, what do you have to do? What beats the flaming arrows of Satan? The shield of faith not the shield of piety not the shield of my unction or the shield of my emotional fervor but the shield of faith faith in what faith in whom and how will you have faith in God well you have to know something about him you have to have content to your faith. You have to have information that God has given you about himself that you can believe in, that you can trust in him. Well, he's this way, not that way. Well, I just don't know if God hears my prayers. He does. I just don't know if God, if he's, if he, is he too busy for me? No, he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. This is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, who sustains everything by the word of his power. And that's the second person of the Trinity. 
right? So, so when you come to, to think about the big problems, you need the big solutions that are presented in the Word of God, and that will happen for you through the filling of the Spirit. You can lift the shield of faith if the Word of Christ richly dwells within you so that you have something to believe. And does everyone not know spiritual weakness where we haven't eaten in a while, so I don't have anything to use, I don't have any energy? It's very like metabolism. It's very like the idea of eating to work, eating to, to, to do, to, to have energy. If you're not in the Word and therefore filled by the Spirit with the Word of Christ richly dwelling within you, if you're not filled by the Word, then you're not going to have anything to believe in the moment. Have you seen this? I've seen this all my life. I've seen believers that took the notes, that walked through the Word, that had the Word written in their hearts, that they were working and steadily with some momentum in the Word, and then they hit a dry spell. And how did they get dry? They stopped going to the well. It wasn't God didn't show up. They didn't show up. They didn't draw near to him, so he didn't draw near to them. That's the promise. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. But they quit going to the well, and so they dried up. And all of a sudden, no, no, what will I do? What will I do? Well, there's a retrogression that happens. Because what's left is not the filling of the Spirit, but the expression of the flesh. And so you become like a spiritual baby. You become thinking like an unbeliever and this is the strangest thing we find in Romans 8. You start acting like an unbeliever. You think and act like an unbeliever. Can that be possible? Yes. The believer who is carnal in 1 Corinthians 3, as we've looked at, verses 1 through 4, the believer who is carnal walks like a mere man. He, he is just an expression of his sin nature. And, if, and you can see it in each other. We can see it in each other when we're anxious, when we worry, when we're afraid. These are kind of the opposite of faith. See, if that faith thing isn't there, that's like, that's like you know, the shield. If, you, if they throw their shield down, that means that they're a coward in battle, historically. Uh, the Spartan women told their husbands, come back with your shield or on it. Which meant, in Greek warfare, if you throw your shield down, you're surrendering. If you throw your shield down, that means, hey, I, I can't, it's not a fair fight anymore. So the Spartan women are like, you better come back dead or valiant. Don't come back a coward. Well, hey, at least I lived. But see, when, when we won't trust in God, when we don't raise the shield, it, it turns out we're fearful and cowardly. And everybody, everybody struggles with that. Maybe you're not struggling with it now. Maybe you don't have a quick emotional memory where you can't feel like, I don't feel like I'm really that way. If you look back and if, if you're watching the tape of your life like Jesus is, I guarantee you, you'll find moments where there's been a lack of intake of the word, there's a lack of faith in what God said, and there's a functional carnality where you act like you're spiritually dead. You think like you're spiritually dead. See, this is a protocol system God has designed, and we call it Christian spirituality. We read about it in Ephesians chapter 5. All right, so look at your little sheet. On verse 18 of Ephesians 5, I'm saying you have a parallel command in Colossians 3.16. A parallel command in Colossians 3.16. This is very fascinating to me. Be filled is a second person, present tense, passive voice, imperative command. When's the last time you issued a command in the passive voice? Isn't that weird? Can't you be satisfied? 
be satisfied. You know, that's, that's the kind of like have an attitude that would, would rec- you know, that's how the English idiom works. But truly, we don't think in terms of passive voice when we issue instructions. We think in terms of active voice. You do what I'm asking. You can't do this one. You can't be filled. Now, if you slip over to Colossians 3, it's a different grammar and it's a different verb. He doesn't say be filled. He says, this is strange. He doesn't, it's not even second person. He says third person, third person, it, he, she, they, is to do something. And it is to enoiketo, enoiketo, which is to dwell inside, to live in. And that's a third person imperative, again, present tense, that is translated, let it richly dwell, let it dwell in. Instead of be filled, uh, talking to you personally, it's talking to you in the sense that this needs to happen, but it, it isn't second person, it's third person. And we, to give a, an imperative in English, we have to put a second person. So we say, let, you let it richly dwell within you, which is the right way to bring a third person imperative into English. Some of you are like, I can't do it. I will not learn imperatives. I'm not in the mood. Get it? I'm not in the mood for the imperative mood. Everybody, in our arrogance, we're never in the mood for a command from God. But um, what I'm saying is that the grammar is interesting. It's not a passive, it's an active. It is to do this. And you're responsible for both of those commands. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3. Let's flip, flip over there. Colossians 3. Beginning of verse 12, you have several commands that are like this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The other night we saw that that is the fruit of the Spirit that, that Paul portrays as something the Holy Spirit grows in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's if you walk by the Spirit, you'll bear this fruit. He'll bear this in you. Well, here, you put it on. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love. See, you've got to put all these together. Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, they're all talking about the same thing from different aspects, different facets of how this works. Sometimes it's portrayed as the Spirit does this in you. Sometimes it's portrayed as you do this. So where does that, how does that work? Are you the Holy Spirit? No. But there is a bond that the one indwelling you, you can't feel him because you're indwelled by him and you're walking in, in the power he supplies and to you it just feels like you're doing it. That's, that's the thing. But watch yourself. When you start loving self-sacrificially and you see this expand as you grow in the word, you start saying, uh, beware thinking I stand lest I fall. What in the world? How is this? I'm not like this. I'm not the kind of person that loves someone uh, without regard to myself. That's, uh, I, I reject that. I, I, categorically, when I see um, altruism and human good and, and all that, I don't want to, but you find that you're not part of that pagan counterfeit. You're actually loving self-sacrificially as the love of Christ is being shed abroad in your heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And here, you put on love. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then a a third-person imperative, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So the peace of Christ 
is to rule. It would be how we would directly translate that from a Greek third person. And then it must rule, it's commanded, you know, this is to rule. The subject is the peace of Christ, and the verb is rule. And you are responsible for that to happen. So it sounds, in other words, like a passive imperative. To which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful. It's not passive, but it's stative. This is just an attitude that you're supposed to have. And then let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I think that there is plenty of room for conviction on that command. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Plusios. Plusios. Richly. Richly. That plutocracy, the rich rule. Those plutos English words, plutocratic, I don't know many, many, but that, that's from this word for wealth, for richness, for, for a, a, a lot of it, for abundance. In other words, we're not an I daily bread little strip of scripture a day, check the block. That's not the model Paul proposes. He's saying this is to dwell in you with, an, with, a, with a richness. And um, I often quote I, I quote, I heard it from Dr. Constable at Dallas. I don't know where he got it, but, um, but we're all crackpots. You know, what, what, huh? Well, how, if you're a cracked vessel, if you're porous, if you leak, how do you stay full? If you've got a bucket with a hole in it, how do you keep it full? You, you keep it under the tap. See? So we're all crack. I love it. We're, we are crackpots. We're all broken. And so you might, you might understand the word today, and you might take it in today, but if you're not going to review it, refresh it, and think it, and spend time in it tomorrow, well, you're going to start to dry up. You're porous, and you forget. And I don't know if we've ever been this distracted mentally. Mental distraction from, uh, from passive entertainment diversion. I, I don't know if this has ever been possible in world history like it is now with electronics. All right, so be filled is the command in 5.18, and let richly dwell in you is the command in Colossians 3.16, and you can see that in English on your worksheet there. Now, this is where I think it gets very exciting, because the verbs will be different, but they're doing the same things. Let me show you what I mean. In Ephesians 5.19, it says, with the result of speaking to one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Everybody see the brown words, the brown down here on your sheet? Joel, is that sheet electronically rendered? All right, good. So the brown words, I know, I know it's Greek, but um, those, those are the words. The first one in brown is psalmois, chi, humnois, the H uh, is the breathing mark above the U, chi, hodais, pneumatikais. Now, that is psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, so let, your, let your finger trace back over to the end of verse 16 in Colossians 3 on the right column where it's brown. If you look letter for letter, not word for word, but case ending, letter for letter, it's the exact same words in the exact same spellings in the exact same order in other words paul has a category for how we interact with each other in his mind and he says it's psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that's really cool 
that's really cool. Now, I've seen people say that should be a capital P. It has to be that we're walking around telling each other, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. You know, I don't think that's what he means by that. But I think that the effect of the Spirit using the Psalms in us will have an application where we are able to give each other a blessing from the Word. And it's real because it's who we are. You know what's easy to talk about? You know what's easy to talk about? What you're into. It's easy to talk about what you're into. Have you ever been in that conversation? I noticed it the last 20 years of my life, 30 years of my life. That's most of it. 20 years of my life. Um, the conversation will hit like a slow point, And we all kind of get that uncomfortable pause that I'm the least comfortable with. Other people are more comfortable with silence than I am. See, that was just torture for me. You're like, oh, silence. But, but we'll get to that slow point in the conversation. And then you're like, oh, yeah. Did you see the fall guy last night? See, 30 years. Did, did you, did you, what, what's going on? Remember in the early 2000s, 1999, 2000, there was this thing, it was a new game show, but it wasn't a game show. It was a contest to see who could stay on the island. Remember that? Survivor. Remember that? It was like this thing. Everybody watched it. People were going over to each other's houses to watch it together. I mean, I saw that happen. I didn't. I was, I didn't really watch it. I was armying, but, um, uh, but it was a thing. It was like this cultural thing. Guess what people talked about the next day? I don't know what day it was. Probably Sunday night, right? Church time or whatever. But uh, Monday morning, what were they talking about? Survivor. Oh, can you believe what that guy did? And, and it, it, was, it became a thing, and it launched reality television, which is not. <laughs> and so um, what's easy to talk about is what you're into. Who likes to talk about sports? Everybody. Everybody who likes sports. You know what's interesting? If you listen to the conversations in our church, sometimes there'll be psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It'll be about the Lord and his work in our lives. There's a problem with us about that. We don't want people to know our stuff because we don't trust each other. My spiritual life and how God's working in me is private because that has to do with my sin, and I'm scared for people to know about that. And that's a cultural thing in this church. And if you don't think it is, uh, y- it is. This is a, this is a thing. We, there's a trust thing. And um, every time you've been hurt by people in church, that trust thing, uh, that threshold for trust is now uh, higher. Like you're not going to trust people because you've been hurt, and it's understandable. There has to be trust for there to be uh, open communication. And, um, and if you ever talk about someone behind their back, you're not ever going to hear, from, you're going to be the, that person that, that no one will share with. And just, just know it's, it's a problem. But... Um, but Every once in a while, we'll hear each other talking about the Word, about what the Lord said. You're talking about the Word all the time. This is what I was studying today. This is what, and, the, and you're good, at, Jack, about bringing the conversation to that. And I am convicted into conversation with you that this is what I want to talk about. You know, when you get with people that are like-minded, that love the Word, and you know each other, have you ever had that thing where you start having the conversation about what you're studying in the Bible? This is what I learned. Every time I would get together with my brother-in-law, Todd Atwood, down in Dallas, I would be in the Army, be studying the Word, <clears throat> you know, every day. And, uh, and when I would get together with my family, with my brother-in-law and my mother and my dad and my sister, the conversation wasn't just, hey, it's good to see you. We had gunnery last week. 
and I, and I qualified so I didn't lose my job. I actually shot a passing grade on my tank. It, it went from that to, I think that the Magi, see Christmas time, I think the Magi were, were the wise men. I think we were left over from the wise men uh, that Daniel ministered in in Nebuchadnezzar's court. I think that's where they came from. There's a theory about that. I think that's probably the best explanation for why they're looking for Messiah because they're, they're a remnant from Daniel. I remember that conversation vividly around 2000. Big, big talk at Christmas time. We're having mom's fudge. There's a little divinity. We're talking about the Magi. And it wasn't because someone brought us a sheet to the family get-together. It's because we love the Word and we love to talk about these things. But that's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So you're in the Word, and it's what you're interested in. It's what you're doing, so it's what you're talking about. So if we can't talk about our faith, guess what? It's not our interest. It's not something we're into. <laughs> and that's what Paul is proposing See, when you get with Paul, he's talking about the word. He's talking about God's goodness and his provision. And a lot of times, and don't ever shut this down, it comes down to what you're suffering in. Because your suffering immediately makes you do what? When you hurt, what do you do? You call out to God. When our kids get hurt, what do they do? They tell their daddy or their mommy. They go right to the boss and they say, I want to cry not you. You guys, are, you guys are past this. But the little ones, they want to cry to us. And, and we're not going to change anything except we know and we're part of it now. We'll give you a hug. Your stub toe is not going to get better any faster from, well, you know, when mom kisses, it'll be better. But I'm just saying, um, we got to go take it. And so when you hear other believers bring their troubles this is actually the beginning in many cases of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like, this is my real life. This is my spiritual life. And I'm not saying that we need to replace the Holy Spirit in each other's lives. I'm saying the Holy Spirit filling us will have the effect of speaking to one another about our faith, about the Word of God. So notice in verse 19 of Ephesians 5, speaking to one another. Can you see the second word in verse 19? It says, it's, it says E-A-U-T. You see that? E-A-U-T-O-I-S. That is the word one another, or uh, yourselves, okay? I've underlined it. It's in blue. Now look over in Colossians 3, same word in the second line, same exact word, okay? But in this case, he doesn't say speaking, la leo. He doesn't say you're speaking to one another. The result of letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, which is the filling of the Spirit. See, it's the word. He fills you with the word. The result of the filling of the Spirit is with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Now, um, do you you know how to teach and admonish? The main organ that you will use to teach and admonish is what? What's that, Chris? Come on. Your voice. Yeah, your communication. You're going to speak teaching like I'm doing right now and admonishment. Now, what's the connection I'm making? Do you under, are you with me? Teaching and admonishing in Colossians 3, speaking in Ephesians 5. It's the same thing. The words don't mean the same thing, but they're addressing the same category, speech, what comes out of you. But see, Colossians is a little more powerful, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, don't make that the pastor teacher. Don't do that. He's not talking about the pastor teacher any more than he's talking about all of us. There is, it doesn't mean that you set yourself up as the teacher or judge of one another. See, that's where this goes bad, and we don't trust each other. We start building walls where I can't, I can't really be known, and I can't know you. See, every one of you is a dirty, rotten, nasty sinner. 
And thank you so much for not blasting us with all that. But we do know what we're capable of. We do know how we need to conduct ourselves given our brokenness. And we do know that there is a, there is a standard and we're going to hold each other to it. Let me, let me give you an example. If I got up here in the pulpit inebriated, I violated the command of Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine. And I got up here and was a little bubbly, a little, little inebriated. I expect that any one of you, especially men, now some of you women will have no problem, you just come right up to me. But, but I would expect any one of you men to feel responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ as my brother, as one who loves me, to come and say, what are you doing? You might do it in private. You might not be as effusive as I am with that. But I would expect that, okay, because it's a, such a gross breakdown. Now, I've, I've heard of this happening. <laughs> I've heard of it happening. It came to a church vote, and somebody got up and said, well, we can't judge him. He's the pastor. That is not the Bible. It says right here, teaching and nutheo. Do you know nutheo means? It means to make a correction where a correction is needed. And I can be corrected. I can't be resurrected until the resurrection. I can't get rid of my old sin nature and my tendencies and my patterns. I can be brought to an awareness of the expression of my sin nature and I can change my thinking. I can repent of these things. I can confess my sins and be cleansed, but I can't stop living with the, with the challenge of my sin nature, right? Sometimes when, when you get into this and people start wondering, well, I don't see any change. Well, you're not looking closely enough. You don't see the change you want. You're looking for our hand at the speed of the minute hand, and it doesn't work that way. Our hand, you can't see it move. If you see the our hand move, you need to get a job. Right? You can't see the kinds of change that we, we often want to see, but it, they happen. You can see them over a long period of time. You know what I'm saying. So this is a really wonderful thing to say, that there is, from the filling of the Holy Spirit with the word of Christ richly dwelling within me, there is this wisdom that enables me to speak and to admonish one another. I'm scared to do it. I hate to bring a rebuke to someone where I see one. You know why? Partly because I'm hypersensitive about my own weaknesses, and I don't want someone throwing that at me. So what I usually do is say, here's what I'm dealing with. And the reason I'm telling you what I'm dealing with with me is because I see something you're dealing with. And I think that's what Jesus teaches us to do in Matthew 7, when he says, don't judge lest you be judged. And the standard you judge will be judged to you. And then he says, don't you know that you've got a plank in your eye? How can you see to help your brother with a speck in his eye? So I just pull my plank out and say, this is what I believe I'm dealing with. Here's me. But here's what I see that you're dealing with. Do you see it? That's the only way that I could ever in any comfort go to someone and bring a correction. Guess what that makes me weak about? Guess what that opens me up to? It's been done to me before. I'm just being real with you. Here's how it is. And this is a sin problem people have. Let's sit still at the table, at the the chair, okay? What will be done is the person not dealing with their own plank, with their own thing that I'm trying to show them, will look at what I say about me and then use that as a, as a two-by-four to smack me with. And, be, and what just happened? We just had a breach of trust. I, you're not really opening with me. You're not sharing with me. We're not really talking about the same thing. You're being self-righteous and arrogant. See, that's the problem. 
Does it, you think that hurts when someone does that? When you say, here's, what I, here's the truth. I see this about you, but I'm dealing with my own things. I just want, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is what I see. Nutheteo, okay? Admonishing somebody that's, got, that's, that's out of line. Um, when they react in arrogance and, and start throwing me at me, I don't want to talk to them anymore. I don't want to admonish them because I'm hurt. That's just, you know, a little therapy for you. Well, pastor, how does that make you feel? What do you, how do you cope with that? What's your strategy for thinking that through? Okay, well, here's the thing. Um, It doesn't matter how I feel if that person needs help. If that person needs correction, my weakness about them coming after me and then, well, I'm all subjective about myself, that's a trap. I just fell in a bear trap. I got a big spike sticking through my thigh. That's not, that's not what we're here for. Yeah, I know I've got me. That's what I said. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to share with you that I'm a broken person too, but I see something you don't. Now, this is the thing about the sin nature. We get blinders. We don't want to look at what we don't want to look at. And what we're really blind to is what? Ourselves. We don't see the plank. Jesus says in Matthew 7, how can you do eye surgery? How can you pick a speck out of your brother's eye? When you've got a plank in your eye, you swing your head around and knock him over with the plank sticking out of your eye. And the problem with the plank, it's very hard. You're, you're blind to it. You can't see the plank, right? That's the point is it's this gross thing. Does everybody know? I mean, all you married people, all you people with siblings, are you siblings aware that, I'm just gonna be real personal real quick, all right? Do you know? That she sees things, because she's stuck in the same house, can't get away, doing her best. She sees things about you you don't want to admit. Do you know that? It's just how it is because you live in the same house. It's impossible to miss it, except you miss it because you don't want to look at it. Did you know that there are things about you that he's like, this is exactly how it is, and you have no idea. You do not want to look at it. Do you know that? That's how we are. That's how we are. I know from experience because I had a sister. Therefore, two mothers. And... Uh, <laughs> and so um, it's hard because our sin blinds us to itself it puts on a cloak it's a predator and it's got a cloaking device and it hides and there it is and it, it tears us up and so what I'm trying to appeal for you here in verse 16b we need the admonishment of one another but we need the people that talk to us to be filled with the word of God we need them to be filled by the Spirit with the Word of Christ so that it's richly dwelling within them. You know, like David says, my cup overflows. I know of no greater wine and no, no greater filling for, for my cup than God's very thoughts. And so if you are dripping, as it were, if you're full as a crackpot, yeah, I'm a broken vessel, but I'm full for the moment and I see this. You can help one another. And it's a valuable thing to do. Now, what's the alternative to that? Well, a couple things. One method is that we never address anything and nobody grows because we never tell the truth about ourselves and God put us in each other's lives and said, do this, and then we don't do it. That's one problem. And, um, and I think that's a broken model. Don't do that. Um, but but uh, again, you've got to have trust and the person you're dealing with needs to be filled by the Spirit with the Word of Christ. The second problem, that, the uh, solution is, okay, we do need help and we do need someone we trust, so it's the pastor. Pastor... I got a problem and only you, you and only you can help me with it because it has to be somebody filled with the spirit so that the word of Christ is richly dwelling within them. You're the only one I know that's like that. So, so help me. Now, Pastor Rosalind, Pastor Dave wants 
to help you and talk you through and do the, the newthetic thing, the admonishment that he, that he provides here. But I, I can't always be the one to do it. I can't because, honestly, we all need it more than I have time to do it. <laughs> so God gave you your wives and your husbands. God gave you your parents. God gave you your friends. God gave you one another. And you should cultivate friendships and relationships that are uh, filled by the Spirit so that this is in, available in your life. I think that what he proposes here in 316 of Colossians is a great wealth that we often don't avail ourselves to. And the wealth is you have a spiritual life. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And you have the Word of Christ richly dwelling with you if you're paying attention. And when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, you become a resource in my life. You become an asset to my understanding. You become somebody that God can use to help me with whatever the, the thing is. And that's how he made us. Now, there's no, there's no provision in here for people that aren't filled by the Spirit with the Word of Christ. I don't want to hear what your carnality says. I don't want to hear your self-righteousness. I don't want to hear how you're right and everyone else is wrong. This is about the Word of Christ. Then my favorite thing to do with someone that's stuck in some sort of fornication problem is just take them verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 5. The culture says sex is a bodily function and we're animals. The Bible says your body belongs to God and it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So which one is it? If we're going to go with the Bible, I'll take you to the Bible. 1 Corinthians 5 makes it very clear how Christians walking by the Spirit are to relate to fornication, sex outside of marriage. It's very explicit and clear. It's, I think it's one of the easiest chapters to read in the Bible. It's, of course, it's very challenging. It even includes uh, rocket science. There's all kinds of things in that, in that passage. But I take someone there, and then it's not about me and Dave Roseland's a self-righteous person. Hey, it's easy for you. You're married. We aren't married. This is a struggle. It's a struggle. It's part of life. It's one of the great struggles of life. It's Satan's number one attack on the church, I believe. Pornography is the number one internet sales. Still, billions and billions of dollars in porn. I was talking to, I've told you before, I was talking to Wes about uh, what's going on, what are the challenges in ministry with the Minya people. You know, we, we struggle with the technology here, I said, and so there's a moral decline and there's a sexual hypersexuality that's going on with the internet. He said, yeah, um, some European provider just put a, a tower, put a cell tower on the mountain right across the way from us, so now we have internet connection. Now we have an internet. So it's really strange. Yeah, we get email from there. I was like, wow, that's awesome. You're connected. He said, yeah, but all the blessings and curses of the internet. And he said, you, you can't imagine what it's like to see people in like Stone Age tribal gear with a smartphone watching porn. But that's where it is now. It's awful. How did we get to this conversation? Well, I'm telling you the way I do the newthetic thing, the admonishment is I say, look what the Bible says. Our bodies tell us one thing, but we need somebody with more authority than our body and, and more authority than the culture. All right, so we've gotten through Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 and Colossians 3, 16 and 17 in some form. The way I want to summarize as I kind of wrap this up today is you can see the categories between the two r result passages speaking to one another, teaching and admonishing one another. These are the same thing. These are the same category of interaction. And when you speak to me with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it's a kind of teaching. Hebrews chapter 5 tells them that they're, they're, they're uh, carnal, they're babies in Christ, and they should be teachers by now, but he can't give them solid food. He's got to give them the basic things, the resurrection. 
He's got to start with just the very fundamentals of the faith. But he wants to teach them uh, the, the, the deeper things like the, the order of Melchizedek and stuff. Um, they should be teachers by now in Hebrews chapter 5. This doesn't make you the pastor. Don't set yourself up as the pastor. And I'm the person with the authority, so I'm going to be the one to tell you. All authority proceeds from God. Pastoral authority is really just the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the great shepherd. Nobody stands in a pulpit with authority from himself. We all have different personalities. But that doesn't change the, the fact of where, where authority lies. It's in the text. That's why I say, hey, let's go to 1 Corinthians 5 and see if we can't come to an agreement. Now look in your, on your page. He moves from be filled and richly dwell to communications with one another in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16b. Uh, sorry, that's 3.17. No, that's 16b. It's still, it's still verse 16. Then he says, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And he says, in, cry, in, uh, in, in gratitude, in grace or in gratitude, singing in your hearts to the Lord in Colossians 3. In other words, it's almost the same sentence when you talk about how you talk to the Lord. So how you talk to one another is the result of the word. And then the word is a special bond between you and your communication with the Lord because it's about him. So you can praise him directly from the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that are filling you by the virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the summary of what we're saying is there's no filling of the Spirit without the Word of God. It's mysticism to say so, to say, I'm filled by the Spirit. Well, what do you got? I don't know anything about the Bible. No, you're not. There's no effectiveness of the Word of God in you without the Holy Spirit doing the work, filling you. That's just a dead academia that's just dead knowing about things it's not knowing god there are scholars that could quote this in greek all you know just quote it and tell you all the verbal stuff and all the details and they don't live it because it's not the work of the spirit in them and there are others that could do it and it is the work of the spirit in them and so um what i'm saying is that um, the holy spirit is the personal agent who uses this content that he's inspired in the apostles and prophets so that when we're in the word, seeking God, drawing near to him, he will bring forth these effects. And it's how you communicate to one another and to God. Father, we thank you for this opening discussion into this awesome comparison between Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians 3. Bless our thinking, bless our, our, our uh, understanding. Um, help us know you uh, on these terms. And see that the, the Christian life being portrayed here is radical compared to what's expected in popular Christianity, which is uh, everyday people who aren't in the word every day. Help us be convicted to walk by the Spirit according to what you've said, to be filled by your Spirit with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.